Welcome to the Diversity in Action podcast, presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Luis Rosa and Sean Tidlaska, interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you are tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn what others are doing to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Schwab Advisor Services in partnership with the Charles Schwab Foundation. For more than 30 years, Schwab Advisor Services has proudly supported firms of all types and sizes. Today, the custodian has earned the trust of nearly 15,000 firms by focusing on the RAA model, a client-first mentality, and the perfect blend of personalization and technology. Schwab Advisor Services University Grant Program, in partnership with the Charles Schwab Foundation, has provided more than 19 million in funding to over 30 universities and institutions since the program's inception in 2007. The program has supported the creation of financial planning majors, minors, and CFP certificate programs at universities across the country. The goal of this program is to support universities and organizations that could benefit from Schwab's involvement while working to be the industry-leading champion in developing world-class talent on behalf of advisors. The program was designed to create awareness of the registered investment advisor profession, extend access and awareness to the financial services industry, and develop a pipeline of high-quality talent for independent advisors to hire. Welcome back to another episode of Diversity in Action podcast. My name is Louis Rosa and my co-host, Sean Tidlaska. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a returning champion, Leslie from Schwab, and we also have a brand new guest that we're excited to share with you his story and some of the great things that he's doing. His name is Craig Jones, and I'll let Sean go and introduce them both. Yes. Well, well, first, welcome back to the podcast, Leslie Tabor, for Thank you. your second time. She is a director of business consulting and education for Schwab Advisor Services, where she oversees the strategic direction of talent management programs designed to help independent advisors evolve and grow their firms. We also have Craig Jones. He is a JD MBA, very impressive. And he is the managing director and chief diversity officer for the Colony Group. He's also the co-president of the Colony Sports and Entertainment Practice. He is based in Denver, Colorado. And welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you, Sean. Looking forward to this. Thank you, Sean. Well, great. Well, let's start with Craig. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us some of your career highlights and, and what your role is today. Thank you, Sean, for that. Yes, Craig Jones, as you said, and I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. Grew up there D.C., Prince George's County, Maryland. Went off to get my undergraduate degree at a small liberal arts college called Allegheny College, about an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh. Great education there. My first foray into finance was being recruited to work for Mellon Bank way back in the eight, early 80s when Pittsburgh was still a booming steel town. And Mellon Bank was a pretty powerful bank in, in the lending area and other services they provided to Fortune 500 companies. So that's where I really bit my teeth on finance. And you know, I was able to do things like lend money to middle market companies and wealthier families. And that's where I first got interested in other art, arts of finance and tax and things like that. So I decided to go back to school and get a law degree and an MBA. Wasn't sure I wanted to be a lawyer necessarily, but I wanted the legal background, which really has served really well in my career. And I did get an MBA. Coming out of that program, I had several opportunities to go either back into banking, investment banking, law. At the time, there was big eight accounting firms to go into tax. And so I chose going to tax because I went a little bit more about uh, 
how the tax code worked for both individuals and small businesses and some medium-sized businesses. And I did that where I met two gentlemen that ended up being lifelong friends. And four years after leaving Pricewaterhouse, four or five years after leaving Pricewaterhouse, where I worked in the tax area, the three of us founded a, um, myself and the two friends founded an RIA, a registered investment advisory firm. My, I, in between, I did do some other things. I worked for Pepsi as a senior analyst and I worked for Scripps as a director of a strategic planning and finance um, and one of their subsidiaries here in Denver. But we put our skills together, myself, Ian Barkley, Mike Boston, former firm, Jones Barkley Boston, in 1994, and started doing work. You know, the biggest thing we had to learn was to go out and do marketing, quite frankly, and business development, because none of us came from that background. We were all analyst types and technical types, but uh, we learned to do that, ran that firm for about 25 years. There's a lot of stories in between that. We ended up having some interesting niches. Always a comfortable corporate background, so we have some natural inroads in those areas. But by happenstance, we were also introduced to some sports agents and some others that got us into the athletic business, particularly in hockey and football, a little bit in the NBA. So that was an interesting, fun niche that we grew in and harvested along with those other types of clients. Actually, this brings Leslie into it, but I had a chance to sit on the Schwab Advisory Board. And that was very enriching and educational, great networking. Learned a lot more about the industry and the knowledge I had up to that point. But I met a gentleman named Michael Nathanson who runs the Colony Group. We became friends. We talked. And eventually, we merged our firm into the Colony Group, where I'm a senior partner there. I still manage clients. I sit on the executive committee of the, of the Colony Group. And two years ago, I told Nathanson, that I would be honored to be a fractional part-time chief diversity officer with Colony Group. I have no background in that area, but I do have a lot of background in these larger companies dealing with diversity and some of the boards I sit on. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. I see my three main things that I'm doing now are still managing clients. I still have some clients and retired athletes. I've got clients that have retired from other walks of business and finance and other areas. Um, I helped to lead the Denver office with Ian Barkley. Uh, I sit on the executive committee, and I'm the chief diversity officer. So I'm wearing several hats there I'm balancing, but they all connect. You know, it allows me to help young people get into this business as a chief diversity officer. So I'm very active helping to recruit. I actually work a lot with Leslie in that area, so I enjoy that. Um, some of my clients are very diverse in their backgrounds, from gay, lesbian, African-American, Hispanic. So I help them to do things in their area. Some of them start really successful businesses. And trying to start more businesses. So that's, that's actually an area that kind of coincides with diversity. And then on sitting on the executive committee, um, I help to oversee policy. So that's what I'm doing now and try to capitalize that. There's probably a lot more detail I could go into, but that's where I'm at, Sean. Impressive. Now, when do you sleep, Craig? <laughs> Believe me, I sleep and I have balance of life. I just finished at my age, I, I know people don't believe it, but I'm, I'm 65 years old. I finished writing a thing called the Cobber Triangle in Denver, in Colorado, actually mountains, 10,000 to 12,000 feet elevation, 80 miles. And I did about six and a half hours. So wow, I keep myself in shape and enjoy myself. And I think that's important for it to, to be valuable to these other areas. Yeah, yeah. You know, you threw me off when you said you had the firm for 25 years. I'm like, when did he start at 12? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that all the time. But yeah, so I do try to get my rest. But thanks for asking. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Well, I guess, Leslie, you know, Craig mentioned the Schwab DI Advocacy Board. So I guess it would be a great time to talk a little bit about it, if you can tell us a bit. Yeah, no, we're on. I mean, Craig joined one of our boards very early on, right? He talked about how he had met Michael Nathanson through that 
partnership. And we continue to call on Craig and the Colony Group for their expertise. And part of that is through the DEI Advocacy Board. So essentially, we spit this up in 2020. It is 12 diverse RIA firm leaders that all come together two, three times a year. Now, their main role and something that, Craig, I know you're passionate about, you can probably speak to some of what he does in, on the board as well. But the main role for each of the members is to review our scholarship applications every year. And they help to select the final 12 award recipients every year. And in addition to that, they actually mentor at least one of the award recipients every year, right? And many of those were in our, we just completed our third year. Many of those relationships go beyond that first year. I know mentors and mentees who still stay connected. And a lot of these advisor firm leaders are helping these students transition from college life to professional life, right? Which is wonderful. Now, the other thing as part of the board is it gives these firms an opportunity to learn and hear from one another. So we try at least once a year to schedule some time for us to get together just to hear about, you know, what are you, what is your firm doing in the space of DEI? How can we get involved? How can we help? What's worked? What hasn't worked? So it's really a wonderful forum for that peer learning, particular to DEI. Many of these firms are on a very similar journey when it comes to DEI. And then anytime there are opportunities like today, connecting with you, Lewis and Sean, and speaking to your BLX audience, we try to bring some of our board members and make sure that we can highlight the wonderful work that they're doing at their firms for their employees, their clients, and their communities as well. So that's a little bit about our DEI advocacy board. For the scholarships, who is eligible? What are you guys looking for? What is the scholarship for? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, happy to. So really the purpose of the scholarship is twofold. Of course, to strengthen awareness, particular to the RIA industry, right? Financial planning, but more so the RIA industry. But then to also remove those financial barriers for students who are actively committed to pursuing a career in financial planning and the RIA industry. So you don't necessarily have to major or minor in financial planning, but through the application process, you need to demonstrate your commitment and intention to joining the RIA industry, to pursuing a financial planning career, right? So even if you might not be a major or minor in that area, but if you've got internships, you're doing community service, the referrals that you have submitted on your behalf um, all demonstrate that you are on a path to the RIA industry, then you know that puts you in a position for going through the rounds of application review and then hopefully making it to that final 12, one of the final 12 spots. So that's really what we're looking for in the students that are applying. Typically, they have to be called in college, freshman, sophomore, junior, entering your senior year. And what is the scholarship? Is it for tuition or the CFP program? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's get to the important part, right? The money. So 12 winners, they each get $10,000, right? And then they also, again, as I mentioned, they're partnered with an RAA firm leader like Craig and his peers for a period of, I'd say about five months. But again, often many of those go beyond that time frame. We are just about to announce this year's winners tomorrow. 
so you'll get a chance to, and I'll, I get happy to forward that to you, but our 2023 winners will be announced shortly, and then they'll be paired up with the DEI Advocacy Board. They'll have that mentor-mentee relationship at least through the end of the year, and then you know, hopefully they're meeting at least two, three times in the course of the next five months. Oh, very cool. It's cool. I mean, we've had, God, just this year, I think we had about close to 500 applications, like 470 or something applications. And of the applications that were completed, that went through the full process in terms of the student completing all steps of the application, 62% of the applicants were from underrepresented populations, right? That's actually like a 25, 26% jump from last year, right? So it's wonderful to see that the scholarship, the opportunity that it affords students is reaching so many different populations of next generation talent to our industry. Yeah, that's an amazing opportunity. And I feel like, because it has so many pieces to it, right? The financial piece is huge. You know, I remember when I was studying to become a CFP professional, I spent probably over $7,000 at that point. You know, it's probably higher now between the exam, the course itself, right? The exam prep, all that stuff which I didn't have and I don't have a sponsor for. And then there's also just the opportunity itself. You know, I think you're making the barrier very low, right? It's like, you know, you don't have to major in financial planning. You just have to have a genuine interest, you know, and that's some of the things we do at the BLX internship as well. It's like, you don't have to be a CFP certificate or be in a program. Obviously it helps, but if not, at least just have that genuine interest to enter the industry, you know, and that's amazing because then when you couple that with the mentorship aspect, not only do you help someone into the industry, but then you help them stay and grow, you know, which is a uh, very key to having that retention. So that I love that concept. It's just an amazing opportunity. So we would love to share the winners once they're announced. And, you know, I think uh, it deserves to be highlighted, you know, and that's what the reason why we do this podcast is to show the things that people are actually doing so that others can learn about it. And like you said, just that peer to peer, right? We don't all have to reinvent the wheel. We could see what's already working and maybe just repeat what somebody else is doing or join their effort as well, right? So Craig, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing at the firm, like the net positive pledge, for example. I'll start with that. And I'll just to be frank, I did not lead this net positive pledge. I've been, I've been a part of it, uh, an aspect of it. So, you know, after George Floyd and some other things we're going through with the pandemic and so forth, we started to look internally at ourselves and might have led this charge along with some of our partners back east saying, what are the things that we can do to be a better firm and better in the community? Uh, obviously, we feel like we're pretty good advisors to our clients and our families and so forth, but how can we contribute more to the family, I mean, to the community? So there are four elements that we really looked at to say, how are we operating? Are we operating in service to multiple stakeholders? Yes, we are. Are we maintaining awareness, accountability, and response with all aspects and impacts on our stakeholders? Are we embracing a deep and innovative partnerships? Are we taking on systemic challenges by engaging our communities? And so, yeah, we probably were doing some of those things, but what we really committed overall as a firm was part of our DNA and will continue to be part of our DNA. So, you know, the principles that we wanted to really make sure we were incorporating on in those areas were, were social, environmental, community, and our clients. So when you think about social, you know, are we being inclusive? Are we being diverse when you think about social things? Are we providing equal and ensuring that we have equal opportunities for all? Are we providing employment experiences that foster wellness and life livable and attractive wages and benefits and things of that nature? So I want to start examining that 
and also measuring it where we can. Environmentally, are we really eliminating waste? Are we transitioning to other forms of consumption, things of that nature? nature. Are we working to reduce our greenhouse impact? And now people will say, well, what, what is the natural services industry doing to contribute to greenhouse? We are. I mean, we're doing things that people may not think of. Our community, are we empowered all aspects of our teams to partner with our local communities? Because Colony Group is spread across, I don't know, 26, 27 offices now in Northeast. I mean, we're the only office in, in I would call the Mountain States region, you know, uh, in the Four Corners area. And then we have an LA presence. But you know, so there's all different cultures. So are we going to work together to make sure that we're providing resources in all of our communities and letting people be entrepreneurial about that and going to our communities because they know the best? We're doing that with our clients. You know, we're going to make sure that all clients have access to sustainable investment solutions. So we're going to make sure we do it at ESG. Not just saying we're doing it, but actually have a focus there for those clients and encouraging clients that really have that uh, that bent to see what we can offer them to make sure they're in those areas. And then, you know, we do do things because clients have health issues, clients have things we call you know, sandwich clients that are taking care of parents as well as children. Are we providing resources both for mental health, physical health, fun things like travel, and giving them access to those resources that could help them have a balanced life? So as far as my involvement, I've been more on the on the social side, on the diversity side of this thing. So we split up in a lot of different committees across the country. Some people, some people are focusing on environmental, some on philanthropy in the community, some on clients and ESG, and some on diversity. I happen to be leading some of the diversity charge. And you know, it's, it's interesting what we had to do because we don't have, you know, college groups not set up where we have a separate office of diversity. It's not like that. So what we had to ask our employees to do is contribute because they're all managing clients or managing operations or managing administration. And so we've had to set aside some funds so we can do different things. But kudos to all of us who have stepped up outside of the main thing that we do for our clients or operations administration and say, this is important. We're going to do things. So it, t- it takes involving our HR department and our recruiter. Well, I think Leslie's worked with one of our people in HR to make sure they're in tune with what we're trying to achieve in a diverse situation. It takes the uh, operations people to ensure that... Uh, we're providing support when we bring in interns, for instance, or new employees to make sure that they're adept at certain things in education. It takes administration to be on board and make sure people have access and equal access. And it takes leadership from the top, the executive committee, the CEO, the C-suite, to make sure that we're not only just mentoring at a certain level, but when we see great talent, diverse talent, when we sponsor those people to get to the next level. Because we want to have partners. We want to have diverse partners. Not just diverse staff and diverse people at the colony group. We want to have diverse leadership. So it's a teamwork thing. And we also want to involve our marketing people to make sure that especially, look, it's important to communicate to the outside and do things like this. But it's also important to make sure we're communicating internally to our own staff so that they understand what we're trying to achieve and holding ourselves accountable to say things we said we were going to achieve. And how they can help uh, those that might be on the sideline will say, this is exciting. How, how can I be a part of that? Uh, so marketing has been very important also to our efforts. So again, that positive pledge is a big overreaching, overriding area in four or five different areas. I can be in the artist diverse or diversity. And I think we made a lot of headway, not just talking about diversity, but you know what? We our pipeline and recruiting is much different than it was, I'd say, three years ago. The hiring, our internship is very diverse now. The interns we bring in is more of a program now than one office decided they just need an intern for the summer. And we're making sure they're getting really good quality work, not getting the coffee and filing, you know, somewhere in the cloud, but actually doing work and getting exposed to client things or operational things if that's what they're interested in. So 
This has been a going effort, but it, it did start at the top. We have a diversity council now, and they've been very active. They're not just meeting like once every periodic time, like a week or month. They're actually getting work done, setting priorities, and being tactical and making sure not to just talk about recruiting and inclusion, but making sure we're setting up measures for how we're doing in those areas and holding people accountable. So, yeah, I can talk on and on and on, but that's our overall net positive pledge, diversity being part of the social aspect. Love it. Yeah, you know, I love the fact that you mentioned how it's a team effort and it comes from the top as well, because a lot of people wonder, like, what can we do at our firm? And a lot of the times, you know, it's okay to not know, right, the answer to that. But I feel like if you're intentional, you're going to figure it out, especially if you find out what others are doing that's already working, right? So you don't have to come up with your own system if it's already working for someone else, right? You can copy what somebody else is doing and then make it your own after that. I love the fact that you're very intentional with your internship as well. So like you said, it's not just administrative or getting coffee. You're actually very intentional as far as the experience that the intern has. You're trying to make sure that they get developed with a potential eye on hiring. And like you said, you know, maybe eventually even having diverse partners at your company, you know, which is amazing. You know, that's one of the things that we ask firms at the BLX internship is to make sure that the intern gets the full experience of being exposed to the REA industry and also financial planning as well. You know, so get to sit in on client meetings if possible, you know, take notes, things of that sort. So obviously there's always an administrative component or project that's okay as well, but at least that's not the focus of the internship, right? And you get to provide those opportunities and it expands some of the interns world, you know, maybe they realize, oh, you know, if it's a bigger firm and they got to rotate, for example, they're like, hey, I really like the compliance side of things or things like that, right? So. We're just trying to get more people to come into the industry and then also stay because I feel like there's a lot of turnover. So I love what you're doing there. And then Leslie, I know you do a lot of, you have a consulting program that you do with firms. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, definitely. So we have a DEI consulting program for our clients. It's called Building an Inclusive Firm Culture. And so it's a five-month virtual learning journey for about every cohort's about 20 firms in size and each firm gets a handful of participants that could take part in the program. The participants are typically, as Craig described, because Colony was a part of our last cohort, it's typically individuals that have an HR type of role at a firm. We also get advisors participating in the program and each firm has to have an executive sponsor, which is key because this is the individual that has a voice on that executive leadership table to help prioritize all of the DEI work that they're trying to execute on and deliver for their clients, employees, community, right? And for Colony Craig's the executive sponsor. So in that five month, essentially, if you're a firm that you're participating in, you're participating in this program, what you walk away with is you will have developed a DEI vision statement. You'll have defined your DEI strategy and a multi-year roadmap and finalized a 12-month action plan. And then you're connected with all these other firms, right? 19 other firms that are on a very similar journey that in hopes that you can stay connected to, again, continue learning from each other, what's working, what's not working, et cetera. After the five months, we do one-on-one consultations with each of the firms. So we're essentially saying, hey, let me take a look at that plan that you came up with. Let's talk about any questions. What are you thinking in terms of next steps around implementation? And then we try to stay connected every couple of months with each of the participants to see how things are going. We sometimes do follow-up DEI vision workshops for those firms who might have had a more challenging time, really determining like 
creating a vision, if you think about it, that feels like a really heavy thing, right? Wow, we got to create this vision for DEI in the next three, five, seven years. And so we do separate workshops to help them come to that vision and articulate that vision in a way that's really authentic and genuine to them. I mean, I will say just a couple of things about what I've observed of the, we've had close to 50 firms, over 120 or so participants. What I've observed is interactions. You know, a lot of RIA firms are still very early in their DEI journey. And what you said, Louis, earlier on about, you know, people don't know what to do and you don't have to have all the answers. I mean, that is completely true, right? A lot of times the intention and the desire is there to do something. Knowing where to start is, feels like you're boiling the ocean. And so participating in the program hopefully gives them a really structure, tactical way to figure out how to get started, what to do first, et cetera. So most firms are really focused on recruiting. So that diverse talent pipeline and training, really trying to establish a foundation for a common language, common understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion are, right? They're looking at job descriptions for inclusive language. They're looking at their sources of talent. They're recruiting, trying to connect with diverse colleges and universities, you know, we point them to BLX internship all the time. Like in our workshop, we always mention your organization as an opportunity to connect with diverse talent. I would say that some of the observations around the challenges that firms have, in addition to just getting started, is to figure out how to prioritize this work against all of the other efforts they have going on at the firm, right? And really gaining leadership buy-in in ways that is more than just the, I support what you're doing, like the verbal, I support what you're doing, but to get buy-in in the form of active engagement, right? Attending, if they've got a DEI committee, attending a committee meeting, if they're organizing events, attending those events, speaking at those events, showing vulnerability, sharing your own personal story, having leaders play that role is a challenge, I think, that some of the firms are having. The firms that are further along, and I would say Colony is an example of that. There are a handful of firms we've interacted with that are a little bit further along. You see those leaders like Craig, you know, Michael Nathanson, other leaders at other firms vocalizing their support, and they are actively engaged in DEI in the company as well as outside of the company. And that's what that what's so beautiful about that net positive pledge, right? It doesn't belong to any one firm. It belongs to everyone, right? You just need to commit to the pledge, right? Firms that are really able to bring DEI to life by connecting it to their firm values, right? That's telling those personal stories, right? Being vulnerable and all of that is reflected through the interactions and the decisions and relationships at the firm, at every employee level, just like Craig said, right? And although those things, the vocalizing and all the verb of being vulnerable, those aren't as tangible as delivering a training session or looking at jobs. They're not, you know, tangible tactics. But I will say in some ways, they're a little bit more effective because these are behaviors, right? And behaviors are called upon many, many times throughout the course of the day, every day, right? And if you can connect DEI, two values that shape the behaviors of your employees, 
that's when you start to see DEI ingrained and woven throughout the firm. Yes, you still need the tangible, we're going to attend a DEI training session, or we have a DEI strategy and we have an action plan that I can get my arms around my hands on. But those behaviors are equally, if not more powerful in really shaping the firm's culture and sustaining DEI at a firm. And so that's what we talk about in our consulting program. That's what we try to encourage firms to try to implement, figure out actions, tactics that helps to get to that point. Very cool, Leslie. I know you've been at Schwab for over two decades now for quite some time. (laughs) So just explain a little bit. These services that you're providing, these are for firms, RIAs, like the Colony Group that custody their assets, their client assets at Schwab. And so you're providing these additional services to them for those that are interested in DEI initiatives and things like that. That's right. Yeah. So I sit in the advisor services organization within Schwab. And part of our role in advisor services, it's business consulting and education. And our role is really to help RIA firms manage and grow their firms, right? And the way we do that is through consulting. It's through programs and resources that we offer to our clients the Building an Inclusive Firm Culture program is an example of that. But we have other programs in place to help, again, RIA firms manage and grow their firm. So it could be strategic planning. It might be marketing. It might be cybersecurity, right? My team happens to deliver on talent management-related topics. And so we're often in conversation with our clients around their talent management efforts Um, Not surprisingly, more recently in the past couple of years, many conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And could you share a little bit about the connection between that and the broader mission at Schwab? Yeah, I mean, we only have a couple of minutes. I mean, this could be its own. (laughs) It's own podcast. You mentioned that, Sean, I've been here over 24 years, right? And I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. And one of the reasons I've stayed at Schwab for so long is I get to live out my purpose at Schwab. I've understood my purpose, what my purpose is over time, building a career here. And at Schwab, our purpose is to champion every client's goal with passion and integrity. And I get to do that every single day. And I get to do that when it comes to DEI, which is a passion of mine. Right. And so how that connects to our clients is their goals and what they want to do for their clients, their firm, their employees and their communities. We get to support that effort with all of the programs, the consulting that we offer, a lot of kind of practice management topics. And if you think about it, these firms, you know, many of them might be smaller firms, but even our larger firms are looking to their custodians, their industry partners, to learn from them, to leverage the tools and resources that we have. That's part of our responsibility. But in the end, it's part of our purpose because we are here to champion their goals. And my client is the Colony Group, it's Craig, it's all of the other firms that we interact with. And, and I get to do you know, what I love to do with them, beside them, for them. So. I love it. Yeah, that's really cool. Retire from Schwab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I heard you on another podcast mention about how Schwab's like one of the first fintechs and bringing 
investments to more people like online trading and just yeah. like connecting that to like DEI and providing investment access to more people and totally. you know the important yeah so I was kind of trying to build draw that bridge from that last question yeah you're right on point Sean Schwab started as a West Coast firm it's a brokerage discount brokerage company typically in the 80s very early on in the first couple of years of the firm were in the West Coast a lot of the firms were Wall Street firms Right. And so we were very much the challenger in my mind. Right. You're, you're talking to me 24 years at Schwab. So, you know, we were very much a challenger in that time with the mentality of making financial planning, growing your wealth accessible to every single person at any income level, at any life stage. We wanted what we had to offer our clients to be accessible regardless of your financial status. And that's something that Chuck Carl Schwab, our founder, stood this firm on. That's something that Walt Bettinger, our current CEO, and the rest of our executive leadership team continue to champion for our communities. And so, I mean, I love that. It really connects to personally, and you know, an Asian woman, and I'm first generation, I'm not inheriting, you know, any significant wealth. So I'm building it for my family and my daughter. So that access very early on in my career was so important. Yeah, I love that, Leslie. Thank you for sharing part of your own personal stuff. Um, and I know you mentioned how important those personal stories are. So I wanted to ask, Craig, when you first started in the industry, how did you feel as far as like being the only one in the room that looked like you and so on? I think that's still happening today sometimes. You know, I go to a conference and I'm like, where are the Latinos at, you know? So can you tell us a bit about your experience? Yeah, when you first it, it goes back before I started an RIA with Ian Barkley and Mike Boston. This goes all the way back to working at Ballot Bank. And I was being recruited to come into their program during the time when affirmative action was very, very robust and corporations were practicing it too. And that's a whole different discussion. But, you know, walking into that bank in the, in the lending area that hadn't seen people look like me, not having anybody older than me to look to in those departments. So I was daunting, quite frankly. You know, and I, fortunately, I had other experiences in life learn how to navigate those areas, but it was particularly daunting not to, you know, sometimes be the first because the pressure is not only do you not know if you're being accepted or you're being judged differently, but you feel like you have some weight on your shoulders too, not to mess up, quote unquote, because you know other people are trying to come behind you or with you uh, on those journeys. So my first foray into the actual industry of registered investment advisory, what was very interesting, although at Price Waterhouse here in Denver, I, I was told I was the first black to walk into that office. I knew that going on. I didn't know much about the investment advisory business. So going into that, I had great partners, both are white. Both my friends, uh, Ian Mark and my boss are white. But going in, I felt very supported by them. The challenge for me was, could I reach out to other people in the industry to say, hey, what's this journey going to be like? Just generally, what are the pitfalls of opening up an independent firm like this? What did you go through? Even if you didn't have your own firm, working in that firm in that environment, what is it that I have to look forward to? So well, quite frankly, when I did, since I didn't have that directly, I kind of just looked at reading things and, and so forth. One of my favorite books who I've given to mentees of mine uh, over the years, my own son, was a book written by the first black billionaire. Reginald Lewis out of Baltimore, who started Beatrice Foods and all of that. So it, it's, the book was entitled, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? 
And it was just amazing the journey he went through, being the first to do things and the fences and the, and the obstacles he ran into to try to do a deal on Wall Street. And I took that as a sign of encouragement. Now, I will say this too, because I didn't have it in the industry, I had other members, other people that were older than me outside of the world of finance, either in the law and other places that I could always go to when I needed to advance or was running into a wall. But having said that, yeah, I wasn't scared. I've been in these environments before, but I knew I was blazing some trails. And I absolutely knew that. Even in some of the niches I was dealing in, I knew I was the first person that looked like me to actually be an advisor in some of those groups. And so for me, I felt a lot of responsibility, maybe more than I should have, but at least I felt that. That's how I felt. Like I cannot mess this up. I've got to work twice as hard. I've got to make sure that I bring my full self to the table, but also not lose my own identity. That's very important to me because I never would do that. And I still don't do that to the stake. And then I also felt a need to bring others along that looked like me that were younger to be their mentor. So I did. I hired within Jones White in Boston, I hired at least two people. One is still with me and one has moved on to someplace else in the industry, but I still mentor him in order to make sure that they knew that I was there to help support their career, whatever their goals were. One gentleman who I'm friends with to this day and help and actually send him business to his industry asked me what he, he was grateful and said, what can I do to pay you back for giving me this opportunity? I said, bring up another Find some, identify somebody else out there as you grow, you teach them and then tell them to do the same. So that's how I felt responsible for that. I never felt like I wasn't competent. I had enough education, maybe too much education, so I'm saying. I had enough experiences in the broad areas of finance. I had accomplishments. So I wasn't feeling a lack of confidence, but it was a lack of, you mentioned the Schwab conference. I remember Leslie going to one of these conferences. Might have been here in Denver years ago. Not the one we just had, but seniors, <laughs> they, they were doing the last day, the big entertainment thing, and I forgot what the entertainer was. But anyway, it must have been, it felt like two or 3,000 people in the room, maybe more. And I saw an advisor way across the room, and he must have saw me. We kind of waved. It took us 15 minutes to get to each other just to say hi. But and when we got there, you know, we said to each other, wow, it's amazing how many of us are not in this industry. And Schwab was one of the best conferences, right? And, you know, it represented a lot of firms. And so that was a microcosm of the industry. You know, that meeting we had, we talked about our backgrounds and so forth. And so, you know, I guess it's my hope that that room starts to look different every time at an impact or other conferences that, that are being held in the industry, that there's more Latinx, Latinos, Latinos, Latinx, people of color, women. I mean, women have made a lot of inroads, but I don't know if it's totally there yet. The last impact conference, I still noticed we could use more women in the industry. So absolutely, Asian people really lacking, I think, my opinion, in the industry. So you know, for me being the first, and, and I, you know those stories, I can't tell you that I had a story where I had any direct, direct racism thrown at me. But you know, as you grow up in your skin, you have antennas. You notice things. I'm not talking about paranoia. I'm talking about antennas where you know something's not comfortable with someone, and you're in that space. And I navigated those areas and navigated those spaces and did what I had to do. If I ever felt like I was in a position of conflict where someone was not going to respect me, I would not pursue that relationship, whether it be a vendor, whether it be a client, whether it be any other kind of person in the industry. So I don't know if I ask you a question, Luis, but certainly I think if I had to round out my conversation, there would be responsibility, which I think people still have, making sure you're giving back, providing opportunities and being a mentor to others that are coming through. I think the young people are coming through today have some advantage that they can 
They have Leslie out there. They have you out there. They have me out there that they can reach to people and say, I'm doing that. And they have a distinct advantage than the people that were the front lines and I coming. Yeah, no, thank you for that. You certainly answered my question. And I think you dropped some gems in there. You know, you mentioned three things. One was feeling like you had all the weight on your shoulders. It's one of the things we communicate to our interns because sometimes they are the first diverse hire at their firm. As more firms, you know, continue on their or start their DEI journey. And, and sometimes, yeah, it can feel like that. You can feel like you're representing the whole group, you know, whatever you are. You don't want to mess up because that may set the standard for the person coming behind you. Another thing which I love, you mentioned not losing your identity. I think that is so important because obviously you still want to be professional and fit into the culture of a firm, but you can still do that while maintaining your own identity and not necessarily giving up who you are. And that's why it's so important to find a firm where you are that good fit, right? That provides that type of culture. And then bringing others along with you and support. You know, I think, you know, I've been helped a lot during my career path, and that's my way of paying back also. The BLX internship program in and of itself, but also one-on-one -on -one mentoring and making myself available, whether it's office hours, or just happen on a call with somebody that has a question, hey, I'm new to the industry, have some questions, like by all means, right? Like I'm always open to that and make time for that, being intentional, you know? So thank you for sharing those because those are just three things that really stood out to me and I think they're so powerful. So I appreciate that. You know, I know we're running short on time. So I want to ask Leslie about the university grant program. If you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so university grant, similar to in terms of objectives to what I mentioned before, our goal is really to champion the RIA industry, increase awareness of it, et cetera. The university grant program allows us to do that, right? We can create awareness of the RA profession and really cultivate a pipeline of high quality, diverse talent for the RIA firms to hire. And so back in 2007, we launched the university grant program. It's actually a partnership we have with the Charles Schwab Foundation. And to date, we have gifted over 20 million in grants to across, I would say about 30, a little over 30 colleges, universities, and institutions. And so a lot of what we support is the creation of those financial planning majors or minors, or maybe a certificate program. We might be helping to stand up finance lab or fund Bloomberg terminals or so on. This year, actually, our most recent partnership is with Arizona State University, and that partnership is actually in place to help further education awareness about the RIA space, but we're helping to renovate um, a state-of-the-art technology center, renovate a new space that's essentially going to be a Charles Schwab Foundation financial access and research lab. Earlier in the year, we partnered with North Carolina A&T, with George Fox University. Later this year, we will be at a ribbon cutting for a partnership we started with Coppin State University last year, and that was really to help them build out a new CFP-registered program. I mean, they're going to have two tracks, financial planner track, financial analyst track, a new Charles Schwab Foundation Finance and Community Wealth management center, which is pretty cool because that center, what the school's going to do through that center is provide volunteer income tax assistance to the local community, as well as financial literacy workshops. And the students are going to do that. 
And so through the university grant program, being able to help these colleges, universities stand up programs that students can really pursue their passion around helping their communities is something that we're just so happy to be a part of. A little bit about that program. Well, great. Well, thank you both for sharing. You guys are doing both amazing things at your firm and across the whole industry. As we kind of wind things down, our final question is, what's the best personal finance tip or book or you know, story that you've received and that you want to share with our audience? Craig, you want to go we first? We start with you, Liz. I'm probably, I'm, say, I'm, yeah, I'm probably, old, I'm probably really old school on this one, but I think <laughs> it's certain. My clients that have done well have kind of lived to these standards, maybe not so extreme, but everybody's heard of the book, you know, Millionaire Next Door. I just think, you know, look, I've been responsible for investing my clients' money. I've been responsible for helping them do cash flow, get them in some private deals, real estate, things like that. But truly the bedrock of being successful financially is retaining your earnings. And I do think too many times people rely too much on the market, too much on private real estate, too much on something hitting a whole run in order to make their lives work. Now, some people just do well because their careers just bring them great cash flow for a long period of time. But if I had to tell anybody to read something, it would be that. Just the fundamentals of retaining your earnings. Having a philosophy of how to handle money, basic stuff. You'll learn investing and all that along the way, but you don't know how to retain your earnings. All this other stuff really doesn't matter. I've seen that in my So that's a very old school book. Obviously, there's a million books of that on, on the world of finance, but I just think that's a bedrock book, personally. No, classic. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong. It lives to this day, especially in this highly consumerism state of America that we live in. So mm-hmm. interest rates are higher now, so people are paying for that. Not following the test of that book, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely a lot of people are trying to hit home runs out there for sure. <laughs> Thank you. How about you, Leslie? It's kind of a similar thread, and I'm going to give two. So the first one is for particularly for those that are newer into their careers, but can be applied to even folks out there listening that are like me, you know, 24 years in, is pay yourself first, right? I would say max out your 401k, especially if you're early in your career. I know you want to take that you know, those first few paychecks in your early in your career and you want to reward yourself in whatever way that reward means is meaningful to you. The most meaning you can create is to pay yourself first and max out your 401k. Or if your, your firm does not 401k, whatever it is, right? Pay yourself first. And then for firms that are embarking on a DEI journey, I want to go back to what you said earlier, Lewis, and that is you know, it feels like you don't know where to start and like you're boiling the ocean. It can feel overwhelming. So I would just say, what is your 1% change? It could be very small. It could be just one small thing that you do and over time, and you repeatedly do those small things. And over time, you're steering your ship in a completely different direction towards the vision that you have for your firm when it comes to DEI. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh both are examples of diversity in action. So we're so glad we are able to have you here and just learn about all the wonderful things you're doing that people can join or, or implement in their own journeys. You know, so thank you so much for everything that you're doing to move our industry forward. Like you said, that 1%, right? Yeah. I'm sure you're doing more than just that, but even if it's just 1% over a long time, right? You can steer the ship in a, in a completely different direction. Thank you both again for being here. We look forward to continue to be in touch with you and sharing the great things that you're doing 
and that's yeah. No, just honored to have you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Luis and Sean. Thank you, and uh, Leslie, appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX internship program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.